Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can tell it to you, that, uh, Lord, you have open, open arms, a ready ear to listen, and we praise you and thank you that we can come to you no matter what and uh, pour our thoughts and concerns and our praise out to the great God that you are. And as we come back to your word, Lord, just bless us with um, the, the teaching through your Holy Spirit to the glory of your name. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, when we seek God's guidance, one thing we have to do, and that is to be right with God. And last week we asked a question when seeking God's guidance, why we failed to hear sometimes when he speaks. And we saw from God's word that listening doesn't mean we just sit there and, and uh, hear and, and do nothing. Listening to God was an, an active participation. There were things that we have to do uh, to hear from him. In other words, remember, we had to approach God confidently. We had to have an attitude of patience. We had to actively listen and have absolute dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And if we're uncertain or doubting that God wants to speak to us, then we're going to have difficulty hearing him. Now, we have to have patience, and this is where most people fail to hear what God has to say to them. You know, they rush ahead, they make decisions on their own agenda instead of being on God's agenda. And the result is, we always go backwards instead of forwards. And we're to actively listen uh, to the Lord and allow the truth of the God's word to dwell in us, to be deeply, abundantly and overflowing in our lives, our dependence was to be upon the Holy Spirit without whom it is impossible to hear from the Lord. And the, today's message follows on from that about seeking God's guidance. We have to be right with the Lord. We just have to be. We have to be right. We have to be clean. I'm not talking about clean and tidy on the outside. I'm talking about the physical side, which we should be anyway. But most importantly, we need to be washed and cleansed on the inside, with the spiritual side of our lives. And for that cleansing to happen, we, we need to have a confession of our sin and the forgiveness of God. Now, before we can confess our sin, there's got to be a, an admission or a recognition of sin. What would you think of a doctor who discovered you, you had a tumor deep inside your body and he said, listen, take a couple of aspros and you'll be fine? Or a fireman who comes, uh, your house is on fire, he responds to the emergency and he says, oh, just hang on a minute, it'll burn out itself. The policeman comes to your house, it's been robbed. He shakes his head and says, oh, well, boys will be boys. See, in every case, that's, a, that's an inappropriate response to the situation. And the, the, the thing is, in, in, is our response to sin like that at times? Inappropriate. Now, three things we're going to look at this afternoon to being right with God is one, we've got to recognize sin, we've got to repent of sin, and we've got to respond to the forgiveness that we receive. We all know that sad story of David and his fall from grace. David had followed God from the time he was just a young shepherd boy. Uh, he, and he'd become a man of faith and prayer. He'd faced many ba battles and he had many victories. Yet this was the man who had such a terrible fall that the consequences of, of this fall were felt until the end of his life. And what a warning this is for all believers. See, however faithful God gives to us a true picture of David's faults and failures as well as the victories and the good points. I'm, I'm glad God never swept anything under the carpet, amen? You know, the good and the bad, we get the lot. 
Now we know in 2 Samuel 11, David's king of Israel. And it says there in verse 1, It came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbath. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now, as it says, it was a time when kings go forth to battle. See, David should have been with his army. He should have been there leading his men. It was a time when battles were fought. Yet David, where is he? He stays back in Jerusalem. He preferred what? The comfort of home to fulfill his duties. He didn't want to, you know, he, he wanted to stay home rather than doing what he should have done. In other words, he became lazy, and when it became lazy, it made it easy for him to give in to temptation. He goes out one day on the rooftop, and next door he sees a woman bathing. He coveted her, and he wanted her. He went and found out all about her, sent for her, and she became with child. And she told David, and immediately, what does he do? He tries to cover it up. He sent for her husband Uriah the Hittite who had just come back from the battlefield and wanted to know, he wanted to know how things were going. In verse 11, uh, 7 of 2 Samuel 11, it says, When Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And what does he say to him? He tells him to go home. He says, relax. Reacquaint yourself with your wife. But Uriah, he was a man of duty, a man of honour. And he waits outside the palace. And when the king sent for him, in verse 11, Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. Listen, David was caught out. He was caught out. So what does he do? He, he goes a step further. He tries to hide his sin. And he commands Uriah's murder by sending him into a battle he could not win. And that's in verses 14 to 25. And as soon as that mourning period when Uriah was killed was over, David sends for Bathsheba and they get married. In, in, in verse 27, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. He was caught out. Don't you think the people would know how long it takes to have a baby? They, they, they weren't stupid. First thing we've got to do we, to, to be right with God, we've got, we've got to recognize sin. You know, it's hard, so hard to imagine David could do something like this. But God is faithful and he shows us that if we yield to temptation to sin, then that will blind us to the truth. See, sin will hinder what God is trying to say and it will, sin will hinder the guidance God wants to give us in our life. Sin, see, sin is deceitful. See, David fell the moment his eyes looked upon Bathsheba and he coveted her. Because the look led to wanting and that's covetousness. And that led from there to all the rest and that displeased the Lord God. You see, when we recognize sin, what we have to do, we have to acknowledge it. But what did David do? He marries Bathsheba thinking, oh, it's all okay now. Everything's going to go away. She's a, she's a widow. It'll be right again. But it doesn't work that way. 
Being right with God means we recognize sin, our sin. We acknowledge it, we take ownership of it, and sin will blind a believer and lead us to think that it's okay and we can get away with it. No one's ever gotten away with sin. That's never true. It's a lie that started in the Garden of Eden and it continues today. If we think for a moment that we could never do anything like this, then we just done what David had done, and that is have that self-deceit. You know, we too, every one of us here, have wanted what isn't ours. It's as simple as that. We've wanted what isn't ours. We've wanted and tried to cover up and hide our sins, and that's called self-deceit. If we think for one moment we could never do anything like this man. See, the things we do may not be exactly the same as David did, but we too have thought of better than ourselves, better than others. You see, David was king. They were his servants. He, he had the right. Uriah disobeyed his orders. He told him to go home. He said, no, he waited. I'll take my revenge. Anyone can get hurt in battle. You know, that self is a terrible thing. And any of us who sees the working of self in our minds and our attitudes and our hearts can scarcely throw any stones at David. For 12 months, David carried this sin around with him until the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to him in 2 Samuel 12, 1. And, and Nathan explains uh, a parable to him. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom was a, and unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveller unto the rich man and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was to come unto him but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was to come to him. Listen, David, some well-off rich man who has it all has come and taken one of the treasured possessions of a poorer man. David's enraged. David swore that whoever done this in, in verse 5 shall surely die. And Nathan says to David, hey, David, it's you. You're the one. And the Lord said, David, you're going to pay dearly. The sword is never going to depart from your house. And out of his own house, evil would rise up. Why? Because verse 12 tells us there, it says, For thou didst secretly, but I will do this thing before Israel and before the Son. How little we know God, amen, but how well he knows us. In whatever we try and cover up, God will reveal. But what we confess and reveal to God, he will then cover. See, David recognized his sin the moment it was revealed to him. And he took ownership of it. He didn't try and blame it. 
He didn't try and, and, and shift it around. No, he acknowledged that it was his sin. In verse 13, And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also has put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. See, he acknowledged his sin. He's uncovered it, and God in all his grace covered it for him. The, the Lord hath also put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. You see, the, the consequences of David's sin was terrible. And you read his, the, the rest of his life story and you'll see the consequences of sin are always real. But the penalty of sin is forgiven. Amen? You know, 1 John 1, 1.8 tells us, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in our reading in Psalm 51, we see David, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee. Thee only have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight, that thou might be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. See, God could not and God would not allow his servant to go on with unconfessed, hidden sin in his life. He just wouldn't allow it. God uncovered what David was trying to cover. See, God spoke to Nathan. And we can, and we should thank God for sending us his servants to us to warn us and deal plainly and sometimes drastically with us. If we know we're in a sin and someone comes and wants to warn us about it, we shouldn't resent their plain speaking to us. We should take it as coming from the Lord. You know, our country needs more Nathans on in the pulpit. Amen? That's what it needs. It needs preachers who have the courage and the skill, preachers who are willing to call sin what it is. Sin. An affront, an abomination before God. Our nation needs more people also, like David, who will recognize their sin and admit it and fall before their Lord with a contrite heart and say, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's what our nation needs. That's what the world needs, is Christians to be right with God. You know, Anzac Day, you know, I remember when I was a kid, and we used to have to get up in the end of April at 5.30 in the morning and walk up to the Lest We Forget sign in town, and the, the whole... All young kids from all sports teams would gather for Anzac days. Praise the Lord for men and women who have fought for our country. Amen. But it was about men and women. They went into the battle, what, for to fight for liberty and for, for freedom from evil tyranny. And these men and women, they gave their lives willingly to protect the way of life we have now and what we believe. And when they went to war, they weren't just fighting for themselves. The cry on their lip and on their hearts, but they, they weren't doing in the old days, they battled for God and country. Remember that? 
They gave the ultimate price a person could give. They gave their life for the sake of others. And God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Why? Because God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, Jesus paid the ultimate price for the sake of others. He paid for the sins of the world. He went into battle for his heavenly father and souls were won. He fought against the devil and he now calls us as believers in him, his children, to go into battle for him. And our country still needs soldiers. And I'm talking about Christian soldiers. We need both Nathans and Davids. Amen. That's what we need. People who are prepared to recognize sin, acknowledge sin and speak out against sin. We need more fearless rebuking of sin. Fearless people like John the Baptist, like Isaiah and Ezekiel, who were called by God to show the world the sin that's in the world. Because we cannot escape the call on our life to do the same and be witnesses for him. Amen. That's the call. Proverbs 14.9 tells us it's only fools that make a mock of sin. So we have to recognize sin. Secondly, we have to repent of sin. Now, it's one thing to recognize sin. It's altogether another to repent of sin. Now, 1 John 1.6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, what do we do? We lie and do not the truth. Psalm 51, 6, it says, Behold, David said, Thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Now, repentance, I'm sure we all know, is a change of mind that leads to action. Okay, it leads to action. But it's far more reaching and deeper, deeper than just confessing and going on our merry way and carrying on the way we were beforehand. See, it's a deep understanding that we have sinned against a holy, righteous and loving God who cannot even bear to look upon sin. He so much cannot look on it. When the sin was placed on his son, he turned his face away from his only begotten son as he hung on that cross, bearing the sins of the world. Such is God's hatred for sin. Not the sinner, but sin. You see, it's sin that separates man from God. God is the one who reaches out to have our fellowship with him. And it's sin that puts up the barrier between God and man. Now, God's most deepest desire is that intimate relationship with his creation. And he pulled down that barrier through the death, the resurrection and the ascension of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But sin interrupts that fellowship with, between a believer and their God. And that confession and that repentance brings us back to being right with him. Now, David had sinned against Uriah by committing adultery with his wife and then plotting his murder. He had sinned against Bathsheba. He had sinned against his family and his people. Yet all sin, brothers and sisters, is ultimately against God and it requires God's forgiveness. And God desires and requires that we have truth 
within. And the longer a believer tries to hide their sin, the greater the consequences are we face for it. Hey, we're forgiven, but sin always has consequences. Always. Verse 4, he says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou might be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. You know, when we as believers deal genuinely with our sin, openly, quickly, and by quickly I mean immediately, hey, listen, we know when we're sinned, amen, that's if we, our hearts haven't been too hearted by continually sinning. But we know the less the severity of the consequences. See, and we truly get a glimpse of David's heart here because he, he was repentant for it. We see sin against a holy God and then we know what that terrible thing that sin is. Because that's who we sin against. And, 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 and David, he, he, he comes before God and he says, man, I've got to do something. He was sorrowful for what he had done. He, 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 his mindset had responded and changed and he took action. Look at verse 51. It says, verse 1, Whose transgressions? My transgressions, he said. Whose iniquity? Verse 2, my iniquity. Whose sin? My sin. See, he stresses something here. It's a personal note. My sin. My iniquity. And he had a broken heart because of it. And, and that, that broken heart was evidence that he had come before his God and recognized exactly what he had done. And he, he had changed his mind about his, his position and he called out to his God. And the question comes, doesn't it, as believers, are our hearts broken by sin? Are they really broken? For a saint to desire... Sin, that, that, that's as ridiculous as, or oh, how would I put it? Can you imagine going to a rodeo and seeing the cowboy riding a cow trying to catch a horse? It's unnatural. It's not productive. Now, there was a certain man, he used to come home drunk every night and he would just fall into bed, fully clothed, he'd pass out and he'd snore all night. And his wife was so desperate for sleep, she went to the doctor and she told him what was going on. She said, I can't stand it any longer. And she said, what am I going to do to stop this snoring? And the doctor said, when your husband snores, he said, tie a ribbon around his nose. And that'll stop it. Now the next night, he comes home drunk, falls into bed and starts snoring. And she, she ties a ribbon around her nose, did exactly what the doctor said. And when her husband woke up in the morning... She was refreshed. She had a good night's sleep. But when she woke up, she said, where have you been all night? And he says, well, I don't know, but I must have won a prize. <laughs> so he didn't recognize his sin. He thought it was funny. But that's the attitude that Paul referred to into the church in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2. Immorality in the midst of the church. Yet what? Puffed up with pride. Smart. Puffed up with pride. They become so arrogant, thinking themselves, you know, first place, being spiritual and all that sort of stuff. They become oblivious to the sinful condition that they were in. And unfortunately, many today live a life where they think, hey, I'm all spiritual. Yet the evidence of their life shows the opposite. 
you know, when we've truly come before God repentant, changed our mind about where we stand, it always calls out for, in prayer for, for cleansing. And have mercy on me, he says, blot out my transgressions. First two, wash me, cleanse me, purge me, make me. Look at all David's doing. He's calling upon the Lord, calling out to God. He says, God, I want you to take action. He's asking the Lord, he says, deal with my problems. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, verse 14. You know, the child of God can never, ever be joyful and happy until the sin that's been committed has been cleansed and forgiven. True repentance always prays for restoration. What does David want? You know, I just want my joy back, Lord. That's it. Sin robs you of good Christian joy. He didn't pray for, for salvation to be restored because once receiving salvation, we can't lose it, amen. But he does ask for the joy of salvation to be restored. He lost his joy in the Lord for a long time because of one reason, sin. His sin. And if there's some unknown, uh, some known sin, some unconfessed sin, that we have never asked the Lord about, then that's unforgiven. And by unforgiven, I mean there's no joy and there's no fellowship with God. And that's why it's so important we agree with God that something is sin and, and, and we, we acknowledge it and deal with it. Not, not talking lip service. I'm talking about con confessing and, and getting before God and desire to be right with him. And that leads us to the third one. We have to respond to God's forgiveness. You know, the very moment David came to God, God put away his sin in 2 Samuel 2.13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. This is, this is the same story. See, God not only forgives sin, God puts away sin. Isn't that great? He separates the sin from the sinner. And only God is able to do this because of Christ's sacrifice for sin at Calvary. You know what? Have we understood just how great and wonderful the gift of grace is? You know, if we, he, he gives us our part. If we just confess our sins with a contrite heart, a, a, a true confession, he's the one who's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. You know, the consequences for sin are, are real, but God's grace and forgiveness is also real, brothers and sisters. Don't, if you've confessed your sin, if you were contrite about it and you meant your confession, God has forgiven you without a doubt. It's real. So how do we respond to that sort of love? Look at verse 13 of Psalm 51. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Now listen, you know, to be forgiven so much surely leads us to want others to also know what God can forgive for them. Amen? But notice what David says here. He says, then, he says, will I teach others. What does he mean then? 
He says, after I've dealt with my sin first, after I deal with my sin first, then I'll go and tell others how they can be forgiven. You know, we will never be effective soul winners until there's a difference in our life compared to other people's lives. Amen? That's as simple as that. Our response should be verse 14. My tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. See, as believers, our duty is to tell others about God's ways. Our duty as Christians is to sing out and to help bring people into the kingdom of God. To let them know how near it is. See the day of the Lord is fast approaching. And unless a man is born again. He shall not enter the kingdom of God. That's God's word. That's finished. That's true. And we cannot deal or sing out with our, about that. Until we've dealt with our own sin. See, we cannot teach our families, we cannot teach our children, we cannot teach our friends about God and His love and His grace and His mercy and His judgment until they see God in us. Amen? That's that true. That's the basis of it. If they can't see God in us, what will they want of God? And that means we to call upon God, call out about him, praise him for the forgiveness, the eternal forgiveness he has so freely given to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, verse 15 says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. See, our response to forgiveness is is to, to herald the praise of God. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. You know, we, we, we cannot earn his favour. We cannot buy his love. What God desires is we come to him broken. Broken over the sin in our life. And our response to his forgiveness should be willing submission to his ways and his purpose for us. A spirit that will walk according to his commands, not one that rebels. When we live in rebellion, that's a life of sin, but one that has a spirit submitted to his spirit living within us. A spirit that's been conformed to the leading of the Holy Spirit. See, our response to God, uh, forgiveness is a broken and contrite heart, a heart that is not prideful, a heart that desires to do things God's way regardless of the cost. And a Christian, well, first of all, Proverbs 14, 14a says, the backslider in heart shall be filled, how? With his own ways. And when a Christian has a true broken and contrite heart, they're one who has been deeply affected with sorrow and grief for, for having sinned before a holy God. See, it's a humbled heart that's been brought under the, the healing hand of God who is ever grateful for his mercy and grace. See, a Christian with a broken and contrite heart is one who, who lives of life Um, of holiness and righteousness in response to the forgiveness God has showed them. You know, we we can't be right with God in any other way. 
It's that simple. It's his way or no way. Amen? The question is, do we know him? Because we have no excuse now. And brothers and sisters, I've got to go home and live this just like you do. Amen? Are we prepared, as David was, to recognize our sin? To repent of our sin and respond to God's forgiveness? Do you know if your answer is yes, then he will give you nothing but the best he has to equip you with for you to live out his plan and purpose for your life. Now you can do no greater thing for your family than to live in the grace of God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. And we thank you, Lord, for the simple, simple stories of your word that are so deep and so rich and true. Lord, you have provided the remedy for every ill in our life. And it's all about coming to you and laying ourselves before you and allowing you to deal with us. And we thank you, you deal in your love and mercy. Father, we pray that we would live our lives to the glory of your name, especially as we see the day approaching where, Lord, there is judgment coming. And, Lord, help us to show others the grace they can have before that. Father, we love you and we thank you for everything. In Jesus' precious name, amen.